Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of FF Plus, your spoiler-free outlet for movie reviews, entertainment recommendations, and discussion. As always, I'm your host, Aaron White, and I am excited to be back. It's been a couple of weeks since I've had the opportunity to talk with you all and share some new reviews, but I'm back in the saddle after a little bit of a break with some interesting things to discuss tonight. That's for sure. I won't waste your time getting to the point because this is a simple, short, and spoiler-free show. And with that said, I want to start with something that's not quite a review, but more of just a little bit of a confession and a story, I should say. I want to tell you about myself and Stranger Things. So back in the day, I watched Stranger Things season one, absolutely loved it, had every intention of continuing on, and then for whatever reason... Season two happened, and I didn't see it. And season three happened, and I didn't see it. And I'd always planned on getting myself caught up and ready before season four. Well, I didn't do that either. And season four released. I started seeing people talking about it on Twitter in the last couple weeks. actually had the opportunity to review it and didn't want to do that because I wasn't caught up. And... Ultimately, the hype from people's reactions kind of pushed me over the edge, and I had a lot of time this past weekend. And so I sat down, and well, I guess two weekends ago, I should say, I sat down and I blew through 35 ish hours of season one rewatch, season two, season three, and season four, so that I am completely on board. I've seen it all. Man. What a fun experience and a ride that was. I could not have enjoyed it more. Uh, maybe I could have enjoyed it a little bit more. Season three in particular, not my favorite. Kind of the low point of the series for me. I know there's some debate, honestly, between fans. Some people really liked that tonal change into a, a, kind of more of a comedy. And it, it's for me, it borders on parody. There is a leaning into the silliness of the 80s that it works for me in very small doses. It does not work for me as kind of the whole tone for the season. Uh, poor Hopper was basically like Hopper Simpson, and he went from being this incredibly strong character to a caricature, and it really bothered me. The fact that my poor guy Steve had to go through the entire season wearing his Sailor Scoops Ahoy outfit was a travesty. So it, it was good. It progressed the plot. It definitely had its moments, but season one, so good. Season two, probably the high point for me personally, minus that one weird episode where Eleven goes off out of hawkins and and we just like don't talk about it again she just goes off has this weird little adventure and she comes back <laughs> and we go right back along just like we were so strange so out of place but outside of that i love the tone of season two and the way that it built upon season one season four like so many people have been saying you've probably already heard and maybe the point of me even telling you this is that it is incredible you can see the production value the cost of each episode was reported to be about $30 million. I think that's insane. I don't think that they needed that. 
I don't think you can always tell that they're $30 million, but they are definitely highly produced. The crispness, the sharpness of the picture, the CGI of the various monsters that we encounter in season four is awesome. The gore, the horror of it all is really, really ramped up. It is not a kid's show at all in season four. Still a mixed bag overall. It's not perfect. We have our group gets separated. Not all of their storylines and plots play out in an interesting way. There's this Russia thing that goes on with some of the adults that I could honestly just leave completely. I really didn't enjoy almost any of my time spent with that subplot. And then Mike, Mike and Will, there is something about those two actors that the characters they're given to work with or the writing, I just don't really find myself interested and engaged when they're the ones being focused on. I mean, Will actually never gets focused on. Poor Will has been basically written out of the show since day one. They might as well have just left him in the Upside Down because I don't know that he's had much meaningful to do in the three seasons that he's been in as an actual contributing member to the group. So I don't know. Uh, and in fin- like I said, I just, I don't think his, his acting in this, his character, it's just so bland. It's so blah and boring. So in a, in a way, the group that they're part of, I, I didn't actually enjoy their subplot, but you don't get a lot of it. And so I'm kind of glad that they're not involved with the bigger group. The other group, the Hawkins group, it's a great story. And, Episode four, as many people have talked about, is definitely a highlight. It's the one where Max is a focal point, and it's where the Kate Bush song became such a hit again from, and I could not recommend recommend it enough. It is a great look at how a group of friends can affect someone experiencing trauma in a positive way, and it's just beautiful. And it's super cool and badass all at the same time. So, yeah, a big fan. I'm really glad that I went through Stranger Things and got caught up. And I am extremely excited for the final two episodes of season four. Man, I hate how they break these things up, but whatever. Excited for that when they come out here at the beginning of July. I will not be waiting. I will be watching those the moment they become available. For the first review, I want to talk about Jurassic World Dominion from Universal Pictures. It stars Chris Pratt, Bryce Dallas Howard, Laura Dern, Jeff Goldblum, Sam Neill, B.D. Wong, Omar Sy, Isabella Sermon, Justice Smith, Daniela Pineda, DeWanda Wise, Mamadou Athi, Campbell Scott, Scott Hayes, and Daichin Lachman. It is directed by Colin Trevorrow, written by Trevorrow and Emily Carmichael, based on a story by Trevorrow and his writing partner, Derek Connolly, as well as the characters by Michael Crichton. What's it about? The future of mankind hangs in the balance as humans and dinosaurs coexist following the destruction of Elon Dublar. If you've listened to this podcast, you know that neither myself nor my co-host Patrick were fans of the last Jurassic World movie, Fallen Kingdom. We both really liked Jurassic World, enjoyed that reboot quite a bit, or sequel, Thought that there was potential there for more good storytelling. Felt like it kind of went off the rails in Fallen Kingdom quite a bit. 
And we're hopeful that Dominion was going to give us the story that it's set up to tell and be an interesting look at how humanity would interact with and either find a way to coexist with or find a way to eradicate or just deal with this dinosaur epidemic that was going to sweep the continent because they were going to be everywhere. And just like I read in the synopsis, that's what the movie sells us that it is going to be about. Folks, it's not what it's about. <laughs> it is probably the worst thing that could ever have happened to this movie that it came out a couple of weeks after Top Gun Maverick because this movie tries to lean into nostalgia in that same legacy sequel type of way by bringing back its OG cast from the beloved original Jurassic Park that we all still have such fond memories for. And it basically does everything wrong that the Tom Cruise sequel does right. <laughs> the nostalgic references in this are heavy-handed and silly. And honestly, I do not even see the purpose of the OG cast being a part of this. They feel completely forced outside of maybe Dr. Malcolm's involvement in the plot and his actions that he takes. I could see how he would be unnecessary or, or, or he could work in this particular direction that they take. But they shoehorn in Ellie Sadler and Alan Grant, in my opinion. And they don't have a reason to come back and be part of this story. Their stories were complete. We weren't left with questions. We weren't left wondering what happened to them. That's never been even teased or it just, it doesn't feel like it was incomplete. And yet they just pop back up to kind of do some silly stuff and get the crowd to go, Ooh, there they are again. Ooh, they're exactly the same as they were. And we remembered them. They're just older. Yay. And I don't see the point. I don't enjoy that. I did find it I guess, exciting at one point to see them briefly, but there's, they're in the plot. They're there so much that it just became silly. And I felt like as characters, there's no progression for them that warranted their existence here. And then there's a mild kind of romance flirting that, of course, takes place in the direction it goes. It's just, it feels very contrived to me. And ridiculous no matter how cute it is and so there is a point in this movie that I did enjoy them it's probably my favorite thing about this movie during the third act there is some teaming up that occurs between the OG cast and the Jurassic World cast and there's essentially a, an extended period of action that gets a really heavy horror vibe to it and a lot of dinosaur stuff that was the most fun I had during the movie. Even though I didn't really think the OG cast needed to be there, it was nice to see all of these characters just running around together and interacting with one another. But honestly, it would have been fun pretty much no matter who the characters were because that's the thing. The dinosaurs are what make this movie interesting. Not anything about them on an intellectual type of level but just on seeing them cgi-ness of them they're big they're awesome they look great they're cool watching them get after it that's the, the ideal part of this movie that you're gonna you know find your attention is most taken up by 
otherwise, when it's just the human characters, they're not that compelling or interesting. The focus on that part of the story is pretty bland. The big reason why is that kind of what I led with there. Instead of focusing on how humanity is interacting with the dinosaurs or how we were going to solve that problem, I should say, how we were going to actually deal with the ramifications of the choice that Macy, the clone, sorry, spoilers if you haven't seen Jurassic World Fallen Kingdom. I don't know why you're listening to a review of the next film if you haven't, but this Macy character who is a clone it sort of felt like it forced their hand in the writing here, and they almost had to come up with some outlandish way to justify her existence and make it make the storyline applicable to a solution for how to fix, deal with the dinosaur outbreak that Macy, the child, is responsible for letting happen. And it just, to me, feels like the story largely punts completely on dealing with the dinosaur issue and takes a very much an oh well approach and it did not come anywhere close to the kind of resolution that I was expecting or wanting. I felt incredibly unsatisfied at the end of this film. The movie also tries to be Mission Impossible. It's got globe trotting, biotech espionage, systematic corruption. It's wild. And I think this franchise long ago lost its focus on the wonder of dinosaurs being the draw. And instead, it's worried about our characters and it's worried about expanding, expanding, expanding. This was amazing because it was confined. It was this one island, this one thing, and it asked big questions about what if. But once we got into the point where this series started trying to show us the what-ifs, gosh, it just has not been able to make that into the kind of compelling storytelling that the original gave us. I don't want Jurassic Park to be like Mission Impossible for an entire act. I don't want to see Bryce Dallas Howard running on rooftops like she's some kind of action star because that's not who her character is in this movie. And it happens with so many people in this film, the way that they do things, it's not normal. It doesn't make any sense. And the movie also just, I mean, while it's busy doing, it's continent hopping. At one point it just completely drops plot lines and leaves them hanging and never really addresses the fallout for things that were left behind. I Listen, I didn't like it. The di- There's baby dinosaurs in it. Baby dinosaurs are cute. I will give you that. That part's good. It's always nice to see little baby dinosaurs. I didn't hate the movie. It was not that enjoyable all the way through. It was a weird experience because I'm almost just, it was so disappointing. I almost wish I hated it because I would feel something stronger about it, but I was just so disappointed, so let down by the lack of a resolution that I feel could have kind of reversed the direction that they took it in the second film and made it into something really high level when it comes to thinking about this big problem. And instead, they just tried to to make it a whole bunch of 
reoccurring, same old themes, same old thing happen over and over again, and same old references to the things we've seen in these films all the time, right down to the types of battles that we see, types of fights, the types of dinosaurs. I mean, it's all, it's all recycled. It's just recycled. And I didn't like that. I wanted more. And I am sad that we didn't get that. But I'm, I'm kind of happy that this is the end, or I hope that this is the end. Maybe they will take a long break from the franchise. That's what it needs. If you're going to try this again, it's, it's got to be different, uh, if you want me to buy in at least. Jurassic World Dominion, it'll be available in theaters on June 9th. It is a travesty. It is a crime that this movie is going to be taking up so many of Top Gun Maverick's IMAX and Dolby screens. I hate that. It makes me, that does make me mad because Top Gun Maverick deserves them. So if you have the opportunity and you haven't seen Top Gun Maverick, go see that instead, by all means. Don't really think that Jurassic World Dominion is particularly worth your time. You'll probably be fine with it, though. Most people, I think, are going to come out as, meh, it was okay. They're not going to be mad that they spent their money on it, but pretty much no one is going to remember or be excited coming out of this and think, oh, that's a great movie. I got to watch that multiple times, and I can't wait to see that again. And boy, that really made me think, yeah, I don't, I just, that's not what I'm predicting. My other review for this episode is Hustle from Netflix. It stars Adam Sandler, Queen Latifah, Juancho Hernan Gomez, Ben Foster, Kenny Smith, Anthony Edwards, Jordan Hull, Mario Bato, Aino Hawa Pellet, Raul Castillo, Jaleel White, Heidi Gardner, and Robert Duvall. It is directed by Jeremiah Zagar and written by Taylor Matern and Will Fetters. What's it about? Stanley Sugarman's love for basketball is unparalleled but the travel-weary Philadelphia 76ers scout who has higher ambitions of being a coach remains stuck on the road looking for the next unknown talent. His search around the world leads him to Spain, where he discovers Bo Cruz, an incredible streetball player with a troubled past. Stanley and Bo connect on and off the court with their passion for the game and as loving family men who want to prove they can win in basketball and in life. This was a great surprise. I had a lot of interest in this simply because I'm a huge basketball fan. I follow the NBA very closely, and I know that Adam Sandler has a great love of the NBA as well. And so I figured this was going to come off a lot like a passion project, and that is exactly how it feels. There are so many actual NBA players in this. It's great. They aren't there just for cameos. Certainly at times, but there are characters, or not characters, but there are players who play characters in this movie that are an integral part of the plot as well. Specifically, Hernan Gomez, who plays the lead character of Bo, and Anthony Edwards, who plays a bit of an antagonist uh, for Bo's player. Those two were absolutely great. Herman and Gomez is outstanding. He was so good in his performance here that I think he has a legitimate career in acting ahead of him once he's done playing basketball. Anthony Edwards is a recent top NBA draft pick, maybe my personal favorite young, exciting player in the league. I love watching this guy. And he's very charismatic and that comes through in the performance for this character that he plays in the movie. 
I love seeing it. I thought he did a great job. The movie itself, uh, it, it, to me, is really great because it's very grounded. And it's pretty simple. You know, Stanley wants to secure a job as a coach, but he's a phenomenal scout. Ben Foster is a person who takes over as sort of a co-owner of the team. He's another kind of antagonist in the film. He's, if anything, maybe my least favorite part of the movie, which is really sad because I love Ben Foster, but he just exists to send Stanley away and be like, hey, go find me a new talent. That's what I want you to do. I'm not going to give you the thing that you want. I'm not going to make you a coach like you want. I just need you to go do a thing. And I'm going to treat you like an asset to me. He's not in the movie very much at all. He's not very likable. And I just don't know really why you need Ben Foster in this movie if you're not going to have him be a big part of your story. Feels like a waste to me. So I do like, like I said, that it's grounded. It is all about this relationship between Stanley and Bo. And it is such a joy to watch because it shows you how hard it is. I mean, getting into the NBA or any professional sports league, I mean, the percentage of people that even sniff that opportunity is so incredibly low. And this movie hits at all the intangibles that are required. It's not just talent. It's about the mentality. It's about how you handle yourself. It's about the image that you're able to show the world in a world that is using social media and things like YouTube to in, you know increase visibility. It, this movie understands that and shows it in a, in a way that is modern and showcases the tools you can use to get your talent recognized. And you have to be able to put all of these things together and manage all of this noise around you and then go out and perform at the highest level every single time you step on that court to prove it to people that you're worthy of even getting a chance in the league. And this movie does an outstanding job of showing that. Stanley has a great quote when he's talking to Bo at one point. He tells him, obsession's going to beat talent every time. You got all the talent in the world, but are you obsessed? Do you love this game? And that was another thing that stood out to me because I think it's a through line in this film that also applies to Stanley and how he bets on himself and his own ability as a coach because that's the thing that he wants to achieve. And it's a very relatable concept that I think pretty much any of us watching this movie can take away. You know, just take me, for example, as a podcaster, as a film critic. Like, I, I have obsession. Am I the most talented at what I am doing? Maybe, maybe not. Probably not. Does it matter? What matters more? Do I love the game? Am I obsessed with it? And that is something that I was able to like look at this and go, wow, okay, how can I apply this in these lessons to my own life? There's also just a really great relationship in this film between Stanley and Bo. Adam Sandler gives one of his more subdued performances that he's ever had. He's not flashy. He's not bombastic. He's not always being the comedian. I really enjoyed it. And he takes almost like a fatherly figure slash friend kind of approach with Bo. And it's really beautiful. And I think their relationship combined with the actual 
intricacies of what it's like to go through this process in the NBA was uh, really compelling to me as a sports drama. I love how it shows basketball as well. The basketball and the way that it's filmed is really great. There's some use of drones to get some really awesome action shots of the guys playing. And of course, because it's using actual NBA players, the basketball you see feels great. It doesn't feel like a bunch of actors who are out there just playing a pickup game. It is appropriately high level. There's also a great training montage with an energetic hip hop song playing. So check that off of your bingo card for any sports drama. I just think it is a really, really good movie. The credits even are a bunch of real life highlights from a bunch of the players that we get to see in the movie. And I thought that that was really clever. I don't want to tell you what players are in this because it was a joy for me to get to see them show up and watch the scenes play out the way that they did. Just being an NBA fan, knowing the players, knowing the journalism guys, the sports media talkers, the coaches, etc. Like all of that is ingrained in this film. It gets the actual NBA culture right. And I think it's one of the better sports films we've had in the last several years. I think it is going to be one of my favorite films of the year all the way to the end. And I highly, highly recommend it. It will be streaming on Netflix on June the 8th, and it is already in select theaters as of June the 3rd. So you might have the opportunity to get out to your local movie theater and see it now if you want. Otherwise, be sure to check it out on Netflix when it hits there this coming weekend. Last but not least, I want to talk briefly about Ambulance. We have a 4K digital code giveaway that I will tell you about at the end of this. If you're interested in our full thoughts, you can check out episode 371, where Patrick and I did a deep dive into this great new film from Michael Bay that stars Jake Gyllenhaal, Yahya Abdul-Mateen II, and Isa Gonzalez. The film is now out to own on digital. It is packed with six exclusive behind-the-scene featurettes that I'm about to tell you about, and it will be coming on 4K Ultra HD Blu-ray and DVD on June the 14th from Universal Home Pictures. But what I want to tell you about, like I said, is those special features. Now, I adore making of documentaries. I adore behind-the-scenes stuff. And I was really satisfied with what came on this disc with this package. One of them is called Bayhem. First and foremost, just the fact that they acknowledge that term makes me really happy because that's what fans like to lovingly or sometimes begrudgingly used to describe the kind of action that Michael Bay puts into his movies. This one is uh, the actors and the crew discussing what it's like to work with Michael Bay. Personally, really enjoyed parts of this that show how loyal he is to his crew, how he goes out of his way to make sure he pulls certain people in to work with him. And it's also great hearing the actors talk about what it was like working with him, how much joy they got from it, how excited they were to be a part of his specific action type of work. For them, it was something to be, they were proud to be involved in. 
Bay calls this movie his character piece. I thought that that was pretty wild and interesting to hear him talk about and, and explain why that is. And there is a great shot as well in this piece of him playing with a bunch of Hot Wheels on set, using them as a way to kind of craft out an action piece that's going to take place. That's very on brand. I know he's done similar stuff in Transformer movies as well. And it's always cool to see just how a director is going through that envisioning process before they go out and actually shoot it. Another special feature at is called Pedal to the Metal. And this is all about like the car chases. And it was awesome. It's really cool to learn about the multiple different types of ambulances that they used for filming different scenes. And another nugget from this one that I found interesting was Jake and Yaya talking about how in between takes, they would have to do push-ups and sprints right before another one because they needed to keep their energy and intensity up if there was any sort of break that took place. Uh, because during this movie, if you've seen it, you know they are at an 11 on the 1 to 10 scale at all times. They are just really, really high energy. And so it made sense that if they took a break and everybody kind of calms down, that for them to get back to that place, they needed to get their heart rate up. And so it was cool to hear them discuss like how they would go about that acting process. Maybe my favorite one is a pretty short featurette called Aerial Assault. This is one that I was super excited for from the very beginning because this is all about the drones. And it was badass learning about what drones they used and meeting the drone pilot and then also seeing some of the stuff on how they got some shots with helicopters. This is a must watch. Absolutely loved it. Another one is called Finding Ambulance. This is the filmmakers and cast discussing the genesis of Ambulance, what drew them to the project, and, and how they came to be adapting this film and making it their own with a Los Angeles setting. The chase capital of the world leans in even further to that L.A. setting and how that it became the perfect location for this and what they had to go through in order to film it there. Uh, it was more expensive than doing it somewhere else, but it became very important for them. And then the final feature ad is called A Tribute to First Responders, which is really touching, really sweet uh, one where Jake Gyllenhaal and Isa Gonzalez specifically talk about how much their understanding and respect and gratitude grew as they learned about first responders and that they worked with first responders who were some of their advisors on this film. And so it's a really nice little additional piece that I think is cool and respectful to put in there because not only is this just a fun action thriller, but they want you to come away from it realizing how quietly important every single day of our lives EMTs are. And they don't get a lot of attention and they don't get a lot of praise, but they are people that we should be proud of, we should remember, we should be thankful for. So yeah, loved it. Definitely think it's worth your money, personally. I, I'm so happy to have a copy of this. I, I plan to watch this so many times this year. If you would like to own a copy of this movie digitally, where you can get also some of these special features there's a few of them that are exclusive to the disc version, which is Finding Ambulance and Chase Capital of the World, but I believe the rest of them are available with the digital redemption as well. To enter, 
go to Feelin Film on Twitter. That's at Feelin Film on Twitter. And look for the pinned FF Plus episode announcement and giveaway post. It'll be right there. It'll say, new episode, listen here. Here's the giveaway instructions. All you need to do is follow the podcast on Twitter, like that tweet, and retweet that tweet to enter. That's it. I will choose a winner on Friday, June the 10th, and I'll notify you and send you your code. That's it. So, again, to enter, go to at Film on Twitter, find that pinned FF Plus episode announcement and giveaway post, follow the podcast, like that tweet, retweet that tweet, and maybe you'll be the proud owner of a copy of Ambulance soon. Well, that's it for this week on FF Plus. It's good to be back. There are plenty of films coming out over the next multiple weeks here in the summer, and I will be back soon. Until then, keep watching and keep feeling filmed.